stand for the reading of God's word. Today's reading comes from Luke 5, 27 through 39. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking the old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We do want to, my name is Brett Sweet, I'm one of the pastors here. We do want to return to our practice that we've taken a long break from of um, standing and listening to the public reading of Scripture, which we're commanded to in 1 Timothy. If you're visiting, we are in a series through the Luke's Gospel, and here at GCF, we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. So it's my privilege to address you. Thank you for being here, and let me pray and ask... God, to help us. Lord, we are needy people. We pray you would show us our need and that you would meet our need today. That you would send your Holy Spirit and speak to us powerfully through your perfect, inspired word without a single word of error. Lord, we're so thankful we can trust it. We pray that you would make it come alive. We, we pray that nobody would leave here without understanding what you want them to, to do and know, we pray that I would be helpful to them in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. I embrace the use of Tylenol with a certain type of illness. Whenever I have uh, fears, or fears, <laughs> whenever I have fevers or chills, I find that the only solution really is extra, t- extra strength Tylenol. So I go into the kitchen and I open the cupboard and I pull out that bottle. Of course, I have to push down to open it. And I hear the little rattle in there. And I'm thinking that, that there's relief coming. There's, there's true medicine in here. And, and if it's a new bottle, I get a little bit of joy tearing off that, that little foil film, that protective film. Now, film actually is very important to me. So imagine for a second that you have the headache or the backache and you run into a store uh, whether it's a pharmacy or a, a supermarket or whatever, and you, you grab a Tylenol off the shelves, you pay the checker, and on your way out, you quickly in the parking lot chuck two pills down the hatch. 
But what you swallow is not true Tylenol. It's not true medicine. It's an imitation. And instead you die in the parking lot. Well, actually, that is why that foil is there. In 1982, across the Chicago area, seven people between the ages of 12 and 36 died because they got Tylenol off the shelf. They opened it up. They took two pills expecting true medicine, but what they swallowed was an imitation. Somebody was taking cyanide, making it look like Tylenol, and putting it in the bottles. An unknown murderer never caught, placing these this medicine back on the shelves, and the murder was never found. But now that little film is there, that little foil, and it guarantees that there's true medicine in there, not an imitation. Well, one of the medicines of the Christian life that our whole world needs is repentance. It's repentance, and it's prescribed by Jesus the physician right here in Luke chapter 5. So we can and should embrace not just true medicine, but true repentance. And imitation repentance, like imitation Tylenol, can be poison. It can be spiritual cyanide. So Dr. Jesus wants us to get this right. So what is real repentance? What is true repentance? Is it dressing a certain way? Making sure the, your, your dress reaches a certain length down to your ankles? Is it not watching a certain type of film? Is it never, ever touching alcohol? What is true repentance? Is it avoiding certain people or certain hairstyle or never getting tattoos? Is it about denying yourself certain pleasures, doing religious rituals? The answer to all those questions is maybe, depending on your heart, but maybe not. But what Jesus is going to show us here is to, he's going to call us to embrace the joy of true repentance. That's the overarching thing, theme, embrace the joy of true repentance. We're going to see repentance in action in Luke 5, verses 27 through 39. And just as scientists can look at Tylenol under a microscope and determine, is this real medicine or is this an imitation? Jesus is going to help us do that. So we're going to look first at true repentance, help recognize it, and then we're going to look at imitation repentance. Two big categories, true repentance, imitation repentance. First, let's recognize true repentance. True repentance. So repentance is simply a, a, a biblical word that means turning away from sin. Going one direction, now you're turning away from sin. And Jesus is going to show us what it looks like. The first aspect, the first way to recognize true repentance is to recognize that true repentance demands everything. True repentance demands everything. Demands everything. Let, let's read verses 27 through 38. Or through 28. And after this, he, that's Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So Levi is another name for Matthew. 
And Levi is a tax collector, and he would have been utterly hated. He was a Jew. He was sitting there, but he was taking money for, and fr- for the Roman oppressors from God's people. He would have been hated. Took money, and you know what was even worse? is tax collectors basically cut a little profit off the top for themselves. They would charge even more. But when Jesus comes, he calls Levi. This is the person he, sorts, he comes to call. He calls this guy, this traitor. And what does Levi do? True repentance. He leaves everything. He leaves everything. He changes his career. He's walking away from steady income, willing to give it all up. In 1982, during those Tylenol murders, Johnson & Johnson repented. They actively advertised for people not to buy their products. Got this advertising budget? What are we going to advertise? For people not to buy our stuff. They bought back a recall equivalent to modern dollars of $218 million. Bought back all their products with acetaminophen, with Tylenol in it. They're willing to give up everything to protect life. And Levi's the same way here. You got to think probably later in the week, people walk by and they see this empty booth and they're like, where'd that guy go? Well, Jesus called him and he, he just left. Yeah, he left everything. And notice how quickly, notice very quickly though, that there's a little picture of our salvation here too. Levi wasn't looking for Jesus. Jesus saw Levi. Jesus called Levi. So even though Levi repented and followed actively, it was initiated by God. God summons, people call. So we have to be ready to lose everything because true repentance demands everything. But how can we really be prepared for that? How can we really believe that we're, we're really willing to give up everything? Well, maybe it'll be easier for us than Levi because we follow a Savior now who when we look at Him, we realize He's given up everything for us. He lived a sinless life for us, but then He went to the cross for us, willing to give up His life for us. That, the Holy Spirit uses that and energizes that and empowers us to be willing to give up everything. So true repentance demands everything. How else can we identify true repentance? True repentance rejoices in Christ. True repentance rejoices in Christ. So there's all this talk with repentance about dying to yourself, self-denying, and that's essential. You're not repenting if you're not doing that. But we can miss a very important key aspect, probably the key aspect of true repentance. And that is, it rejoices. It rejoices in Christ. Look at verse 29 with me. And Levi made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So notice Levi's willingness to lose everything, to give up everything, doesn't mean he just sold his house that day and walked away from it. So it probably won't be the case for a lot of us. But notice how it does transform the use of his resources. Instead of being greedy, he gives. He gives to others. 
and he gives primarily to Jesus. He rejoices. There's a celebration here as he's repenting. He's celebrating. Look, Jesus has called me to repentance. He uses his goods to make a big deal about the joy of salvation. So true repentance is a party. True repentance is recognizing you've been saved by grace freely. So Jesus in chapter 9 is going to tell us, unless you take up your cross and follow me, deny yourselves, you're not worthy of me. But we need to remember that even as we're called to, to die to ourselves, there's a key aspect of our repentance that's joy. We get Jesus. Do you rejoice in that? He could have left you alone by the equivalent of your tax booth, could have ignored you, abandoned you, let you go to hell, which is what he talks about a lot. He could have done that, but he gave himself up for you. He gives you food and clothing, reveals his need for you. He gives you his Holy Spirit. So if true repentance is an empty tax booth, it's also a great big feast, a great big party. It's interesting if you, uh, anybody who's lived much of their lives, you meet certain people in your life and you realize that they're miserable. Their life is not joyful. Their relationships are broken. They can't hold down jobs. They don't have any healthy relationships. Other people are just greedy and selfish. And you think like, boy, Jesus would make a difference in your life. You don't, you don't seem very happy. And they say, well, I don't, I'm not willing to give up what I have to follow Jesus. It's an interesting thing how deceptive sin is. We don't want to give up our old destructive way of life. And when we make that choice, we miss out on something so much better. Jesus, forgiveness, life, purpose. Increased freedom and victory over our sin. A new family. A party. True re repentance demands everything. It rejoices in Christ. And third, true repentance is open to all sinners. True repentance is open to all sinners. Let's read verses 29 through 32. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Who would you hate to see one day?